We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna These guys want to win, and that's the part I love about uh, this locker room. These guys want to win. We all want to win, and we came up short today. You know, there's no doubt about it, and we got to get better. Um, I know Zay, Zay takes it. He, he takes it on himself. You know, he wants to make that play. We all do. Um, there's a lot of up, other opportunities too, um, and so uh, you know, hey, that's on me. Uh, we'll come back, go to work this week, and uh, continue to get better. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. To my right is my producer, Chris Kruger, and that was Sean McDermott from his interview with BuffaloBills.com. It's Tuesday, folks. Have you all decompressed a little bit? Has everybody, uh, you know, has everybody worked this uh, horrific loss out of their system? I mean, I mean, it took me, watching that football game on Sunday, I can say for moments of that game, took me right back to the three to six game that we lost to Cleveland. I am just, that's not hyperbole. I sat there thinking, what am I watching? It was, it, I'm sure it was nerve wracking for everybody involved. Chris? It was nerve wracking because I had to drink a goddamn Seagram's <laughs> after the game. Oh, I got two cavities right after the game. <laughs> Folks, we have a lot of ground to cover tonight, so we're going to jump right into tonight's show with this week's Bills News Update. The Bills are once again churning their roster. Every Tuesday. I don't know what it is. It seems like the Bills want to make some sort of adjustment to the friggin' roster. Because they have an off day. <laughs> is, is Bean just bored? Is that what it is? He's just bored, so he's like, well, I'll screw around with the practice squad. I'll mess around with the active roster a little bit. He honestly wants to get rid of anybody that was involved with Rex Ryan. Yeah, but even then, now he's getting rid of the guys he just signed. I mean, look at this. Just this afternoon, as we were getting ready to record, the team announced that they released safety Trey Elston and newly signed linebacker Jelani Jenkins. So Trey Elston was here throughout the course of training camp. He earned a spot in the 53, and I thought he had played pretty well. Yeah, I thought that he deserved a, a look on special teams and that he could be a useful depth option if he needed to be. And now he's been released. And then Jelani Jenkins, we literally just signed the guy. He just got here. I don't even know. He was, Chris, do you think he's even really fully unpacked his suitcase yet? 
No, I don't. I don't even. <laughs> and he's getting told to get the hell out of here. He was what here like four four days. Four days. You signed him for four days. I, it doesn't make any sense to me. Now I haven't heard of any corresponding moves. You know, I checked Twitter. I checked Pro Football Talk. I checked all the major outlets. I haven't heard of any corresponding moves, but you have to assume that there's either a promotion from the practice squad or a pair of corresponding signings that are going to take place in the next 24 hours. Anybody who you expect to be on the football field for you on Sunday pretty much has to be out there with the team tomorrow, right? That would make sense. Well, if we sign somebody not with the team off the practice squad, I would assume that they won't play on Sunday. No, no, and that's my point. Like, I'm looking at this as, you know... I see it as if you're you're going in here now with two roster holes, you've got two open spots on your 53-man roster, it's Wednesday. You're going to have what? Maybe two? How many more practices? Two? Yeah. Uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, walk through Saturday. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you'll have a handful of opportunities, but like you said, there's going to have to be somebody here. It's going to have to be somebody who was here who knows the playbook, or at least has had some time to look it over. Now, I think that, I mean, me personally, this is just speculation. If I had to, I would think that maybe they'd like what they've seen from Malachi Dupree or maybe you know one of the other practice squad wide receivers enough to try to promote them from the practice squad to the active roster. I mean, considering what we saw on Sunday. we got to factor in Tyrod, too. Tyrod's got to get to the the ball to an area where there's a receiver, and then the receiver's got to go get the damn ball. Yeah, well, I just think that I'm looking at these roster holes. It's going to be interesting. I, I, I'm going to keep my ear to, the, uh, ear to the ground over the next 24 hours to see what happens. I, it's going to be interesting to see who they, who they either sign or who they promote. All right, what are you drinking tonight? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. My beer of the week, it's Flying Bison Larkin Lager. Says it's a Pilsner Lager, four point eight percent alcohol. It's kind of a uh, well, like what I like to refer to as a wuss beer. Well, when I was is, disappointed tap water. that I bought it on Friday and then Saturday I came over and you had some in the fridge. Yeah, but you know what? I really only had a part of one during my fantasy football draft because it just didn't seem like my type of beer. But I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it the old you know the old college try here. Where you suck it down in a minute and then scream, who's the man? <laughs> All right. At first taste, this beer isn't terrible, but it doesn't have a ton of flavor. It's kind of, it's light, but it's got no, there's no spark. There's no either bland. Malty, yeah, it's a very bland beer. That's my, that's my honest assessment. So moving on with the news update. Sean McDermott has doubled down on Tyrod Taylor. Now, As I usually do, I avoided WGR 550, a lot of social media, and pretty much any kind of dedicated Bills-related news outlet for the last couple days, both for my own sanity and just the fact that I don't like my own opinions to be kind of influenced or reshaped just because of what I hear and what other people think. my, my, My process is I watch the game. I may drink a lot, but I watch the game. I form my opinion on what I saw. I go back, I watch some of the game film, and try to see if what my eyes told me was happening is actually the truth before I just accept that as reality. And then I'd look at the statistics and I see the story that they tell me, and I put 
in my mind, that tells me the story of what went on in that football game. So I try to stay away from, you know, WGR, all these things, Facebook groups, things of that nature. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that the natives here in Buffalo are already getting restless when it comes to Tyrod Taylor. And I can't say that I blame them. I don't want them pulled. Tyrod gives us our best chance to lose. And I want that quarterback in the draft. I hate you. I mean, I get it. Our offensive line had one of the worst performances that I've seen out of a Bills offensive line in years on Sunday. And I know that the Panthers' defense, they're a talented group of guys. You know, last week we talked a lot about it. But what I saw on Sunday, I mean, at times it it was an abomination born of both a lack of execution and a lack of creativity. That starts with the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. But you, you talk to Sean McDermott. He showed up to his press conference, and what did he say? He absolutely squashed any talk of a quarterback controversy or a quarterback change. He flat out said, you know, we need to stay the course. In fact, he made a couple interesting comments that anybody who listened to the press conference, go back and re-listen to it again and you know, think about this as you're hearing it. Is this from Monday? Yeah, this is from Monday. At one point, he mentions Andy Reid and says that he's learned that when from Andy Reid that when you have a vision, you can't and shouldn't ever abandon it. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what adversity gets thrown at you, if you have a vision for what you want your team to be, how you want to play, whatever the case is, then instead you don't abandon ship, you don't change course simply because it's difficult. Instead, you work harder towards achieving that end, whether that's reevaluation, whether that's the investigation of new angles towards achieving that end. Ultimately, staying the course is important because it will get you to where you need to be. I mean, that's all well and good. And I do agree that you don't ever want to be the, be the group that just for the sake of change throws the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I, I, Sounds a lot like Houston. <laughs> you don't want to change simply for the sake of changing and inadvertently get worse and derail yourself from where you wanted to be. Has, I believe, it's in all things, not just sports. I believe Bill O'Brien has done that two or three times mm-hmm. where he's made a change at quarterback like that. He only gave Tom Savage a half mm-hmm. before putting into Sean Watson. And how is that working out for him? Not good. Not well. Not well. And don't and considering they played Cincinnati on Thursday, mm-hmm. you and oh, I that game, that game was unbelievable. That game was unwatchable. You and I can get a, like a South Buffalo team together, and I feel like we could compete against Cincinnati. <laughs> I just look at a game like that where there's the only touchdown scored wasn't even thrown. It was a broken play that your athletic quarterback ran in from fifty yards out. That's terrible football. That's terrible football on both sides of the field. I just. I so I I understand what the back back to Sean McDermott. I understand what it is he's saying. I find it interesting though that that's where he's drawing his coaching inspiration from is Andy Reid. To me, that it speaks a lot to what he wants to be, what he wants to accomplish. I mean, you see what Andy Reid's been able to accomplish with with uh, Alex Smith. Alex Smith, everyone looks at him and says, "Oh, he's nothing special." You're right, he isn't. He is a Slightly above-average quarterback, yet Andy Reid found a way to build a team around that slightly above-average quarterback. That's how many times have they been in the playoffs since he's gotten there? I want to say they're in there every, at least, 
every uh, other every year? year. I think he's been there almost every year. Yeah. But if Alex Smith has not been playing like an elite quarterback this year, there would be talk of Kansas City being in that same situation that we're in where mm-hmm. fans are like, let's get Mahomes. Yeah, but Just see, as like, a coach, you can't – unfortunately, you don't have the luxury of giving a shit what fan th- fans think. You have a job exactly. to protect. You have to build something. So I, th- I like this mentality of McDermott's that I'm not just going to abandon what I think is right simply because there's pressure from the media. There's pressure from the fan base. I think I know how to win in the NFL. That's why I was hired as a head coach, and this is how I'm going to go about doing it. I, I can respect him for that. I, I, I just I look at the season as a whole, and I think that what we need to do when it comes to this team you know, and this game is a perfect example of it. Let's take a look at this team and really evaluate it for what its flaws are and what it's you know what it does well. And then what you do is, I mean, because I'm looking at 2017 and I'm already to the point. You know, I, I did my thing where I I said I wasn't going to get crazy because I thought I understood what this season was all about. And sure enough, Chris had a front row seat to it. It didn't take long. I what came off the rails probably about halfway through through Sunday's game. I did. Oh yeah, your ha- your halftime adjustments. Oh, my halftime adjustments. That video you can find on our Twitter, Instagram, and over on Facebook. <laughs> it was, it was one of these things where I just I'd had enough. But after the game, I kind of composed myself and took, like I said, I took a look at what was out there, and kind of recentered myself around this thought that 2017 isn't about wins and losses. It's really not. We're not supposed to be a competitive team. You talk to most Bills fans; they expected us to be terrible. So I don't understand why everyone's out here losing their friggin' minds because, oh, no, the team's going to the team's gonna suck. You all pegged us to suck anyway. What are you freaking out about? I found myself in that boat for a hot second, and I reeled myself back in after the game and realized that I'm glad I got that out of my system because this season isn't about wins and losses. It's about progress. It's about showing me that the things that have been wrong for the last 17 years, you can try to start fixing. It's not going to be overnight. But if anyone's noticed, we how many penalties did we take yesterday? Five? When's the last? I don't remember that penalties being an issue yesterday. No. Or on Sunday, rather. No. And week one, did penalties just pop up and kill drives and stall things that we were trying to do? Or did, did, were we organized? Did we have enough men on the field? Not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then that's I, progress. And I know that sounds stupid because you should want more than that. But we should realize that this team is... It's the little things that the, matter. It's these little things, this attention to detail that's already starting to pay some dividends. I mean, you look at us from the preseason to now and the number of penalties that were being taken. McDermott said he'd fix it. Right now, it looks to my eyes like it's been fixed. All I can say to Bills fans is that take this all in. Take a deep breath. Goose fraba. And... Take this as a warning. If you can't handle what you saw on Sunday, you need to buckle your seatbelts because this season is going to be rough for you. Okay? Tyrod Taylor is our quarterback. That's it. That's it. Sean McDermott is our coach. Rick Dennison is our coordinator. Jordan Mills is our right tackle. These are This is the hand we've been dealt, and we are going to ride this thing out. There is, there's, there's no other answer. And we're going to see where it lands us at the end of the season. But we're also going to watch and see what this coaching staff can learn and what they can show us that they've learned over the course of 17 weeks. 
So, like I said, if you don't think you can handle it, don't I, watch. I suggest you either get a helmet because it's going to be rough, or you invest in more alcohol because I don't know what to tell you. And now to Chris's point, Chris actually said something a few minutes ago that I find highly interesting. He's talking about Tyrod Taylor being our best bet to lose, to lose, and to get a quarterback. For a month. Man, I hate to segue out of this a sentence in, but this Larkin Lager is not good. All right. Again, I'm halfway through the bottle, and it's just, it's a, there's no flavor to it. It's like a water with a little bit of bitterness to it. All right, you can drink one beer the rest of your life. Is it the Flying Bison Larkin Lager or the Genesee Scotch Ale? I'll take the Genesee Scotch Ale over that, whatever's in that yellow bottle. Ugh. So when you talk about the quarterbacks, you know, and everyone thinks, oh, no, we need to tank. We need to be bad. Yes. Guess what, guys? Join me. It's not going to happen. Join me. This team is too talented on a base level to truly be as bad as we need to be in order to find that top spot in the draft. That's, that's a fact. Okay, we are you going, are full of shit. We are going to win football games this season. Not all of them. About maybe not a ton five. of them. Maybe not enough of them to maybe not enough of them to make the playoffs, but that might be all it takes, Chris. Right now, if everyone out there who is actively voting, you know, hey, let's get a quarterback in the next draft, everyone Me. who's looking for that. Me. Then what you need to do is you need to spend the rest of your season scoreboard watching and rooting against the Bears and the Colts. Because those two franchises are the Buffalo Bills best bet to land a franchise quarterback. Everyone keeps talking about how, oh, this is the draft. This is where we're going to address our quarterback need. Half of the people, I'd say even two-thirds of the people out there saying this type of stuff, have any of you ever stopped to consider that we aren't the only team looking for one? And I bet the list of teams that are is a lot longer than you'd think. I'll give you your obvious franchises. You've got the Jets. You've got the 49ers and the Jaguars, who are all teams without viable youth options at quarterback. And none of them have a serviceable starter in place. They're all going to be bad football teams this year because they don't have a good quarterback. I mean, you could even say that they don't have a mediocre quarterback. That's that's how bad their situations are. They are going to be in competition for those top prospects. Then you take a look back at the and you take a look back at the 2017 draft. Teams who have starters in place are being less and less gun shy about taking quarterbacks early. I mean, the Bears, the Texans, and the Chiefs. The Bears signed Mike Glennon to be their starter, but they spent the second or what the second overall second overall pick. They traded up from third to second to get Trubisky. They spent the second overall pick on a quarterback. After signing one to starter money, the Texans had a starter in Tom Savage, but they still took Deshaun Watson in the first round. Did, the they, Chiefs not, did, have, they, not, did they not trade up for Deshaun? No. no. The Chiefs, on the other hand, had okay, the Chiefs had a starting quarterback in Alex Smith, who this year is playing his balls off. Maybe because it's a contract year. I don't know what. But they traded up to get Patrick Mahomes to sit and learn behind Alex Smith. So clearly this is a trend. Teams that have aging veterans are going to start looking for these early quarterbacks. So you look around the leagues, there's a number of teams that are going to find themselves in a similar situation besides the Bills. You've got the Giants, who are 0-2 with a terrible offensive line, and a quarterback in Eli who's 36 years old and 
if you saw last night's Monday Night Football game against the Lions, he looks every bit of 36 years old. Everyone knows the Giants will have a better record than the Bills. Okay. But that doesn't mean that they're maybe they trade up. Maybe they offer. Do they have the ammo we do? But this is my point, Chris. There's still teams in the market, and can we engineer a trade with these teams? All right, continue. I'll okay. Sh- I'll shoot all of them down. The Steelers, similar situation. They'll be in the playoffs. It doesn't matter. Depending on what they're willing to give up, if they're willing to give up more than Bean is, it doesn't matter what our ammunition, what our ammunition on paper looks like. Okay? The Steelers are going to be looking for a quarterback soon. You figure Ben's his track record of injuries and the fact that he's publicly discussed retiring. Okay? That's a problem for that franchise because they're used to being competitive. They don't want to go back to not being competitive. They've got a team that they think is built every single year to contend for a Super Bowl. So that's a team that could very well be looking at an early, early in the first round quarterback. And then the Redskins. The Redskins are a bad football team this season. And they've botched the handling of both RG3 and Kirk Cousins so badly that neither one of those players are going to be under contract heading into 2018. There's a bad football team, Chris, that may just by by default end up ahead of the Bills in the draft. All right, and then Kirk Cousins goes to San Francisco. Okay. And eliminate well, San Francisco. But, but what if he doesn't? See, well, this is where we go. But you're speculating about all this stuff now. My point is, maybe he signs with Buffalo after Buffalo realizes they can't get to where they want to get in the draft. Great, I'd love to have Kirk Cousins. I'm saying this. The Bills' current team doesn't look like the most competitive team in the NFL. And on paper, it looks like we have enough draft ammunition to facilitate a trade anywhere up the board if we need to. But the fact remains is that there's going to be four or five standout quarterbacks heading into this draft, Chris. We might end up in a race with up to eight other franchises to land one of these guys. Okay? If there's five guys who look like they're capable of starting in the NFL and you've got eight teams who want them, who says that the Bills find a way to get it done when it comes to a trade? Everyone's just pointing to the fact, oh, there could be a trade, oh, we could do that. No. (laughs) No, that's not it. This leads me to the Bears and the Colts. Because if any of you out there have trade aspirations, then you need them. To finish first and second. You have to. I mean, you look at the Bears. They showed a little bit of life and then got in week one. They lost, you know, a close game to the Falcons. And then they got blown out by Tampa Bay. They just took a quarterback, signed another one for starter money. They couldn't possibly be in the market for another quarterback. And the Colts, I mean, you take away Andrew Luck from that team. They may actually have the worst roster in the entire NFL. I don't know a team that has any less talent on it. So, I mean, think about this. You're complaining about Tyrod Taylor. The Colts are starting Jacoby Brissett after they traded for him a week ago. They traded for a quarterback and then started him within a week. That's a terrible situation. I will say that if we want to have any chance of getting ahead of the Jets, the 49ers, and any of these other franchises that are going to be looking at quarterbacks this year, It's going to be because the Colts and the Bears are in those top spots and are going to need our draft capital in order to rebuild their franchises. Can you agree with me on that? Yeah, I I would make a trade with Indianapolis or Chicago if they happen to finish worse than we do. Because we do need a quarterback. Tyrod is not the answer. 
Well, I think those teams Peter are the only Min, two ways we get it done because I don't see anybody Peter else. Peterman could be Frank Reich. Get you a win or two if you need it. I want that franchise quarterback. And you clearly don't think Tyrod's the guy. No. Oh, God. Chris's beer is terrible. All right, folks. Well, you bought some, too. To wrap up the new segment by accident, it came in a sampler pack. To finish up the new segment, I'm going to finish the rest of this beer. This is awful. We're going to launch into the second segment of our show, which is the Week 2 Recap. Panthers 9, Bills 3. Ah. Statistics of the game, folks. Bills first half first downs. One. Number of touchdowns scored over four quarters by either team. Zero. LaShawn McCoy, nine yards rushing, six catches for 34 yards. What a day for fantasy. Destroyed my fantasy team. Buffalo's defensive line, four sacks, seven tackles, multiple tackles for loss. And then, of course, the most important statistic, the number of Seagrams drank by Chris that afternoon. And that is one, Dis- folks. Dis- disgusting. Oh, so where to start when you're recapping a game like this? I mean, you look at Tyrod Taylor and Rick Dennison. The two of them together seem like a recipe for intoxication. Everything was going pretty well on Sunday. Chris showed up at my house. I still had the vacuum out. I was getting the basement ready because I was having a whole bunch of people over for the game. You know, I've got the Sunday ticket. I've got two, two flat screens down there, a couple beer fridges, some coolers bunch of food on the way. It's going to be a great afternoon, right? So kickoff comes. I haven't even cracked a beer yet. This is, everything's going pretty well. I'm, I'm maintaining my composure. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm watching the first possession of the game. The Panthers are marching their way down the field. You know, I, I said it last week. I said that this game could be rough, and I, I, I was prepared. I had prepared myself mentally and emotionally to enter into that game and just simply watch it. I, ent- I opened up a growler of this high-gravity flying bison called Juice Caboose IPA. I strongly recommend it. It's delicious stuff. And that was right after the Bills' first defensive series. I mean, I was a little frustrated, but I was happy that we managed to hold the Panthers to just a field goal after they marched down the field the way that they did. I mean, it really seemed like that bend-but-don't-break philosophy of a cover-two defense held up for us, and now our offense gets a chance to take the field. Now we're down 3 nothing right out of the gate. 15 plays, four punts, and oh my God. So 15 plays and four punts go by, and the Bills have amassed 22 total yards of offense and six minutes of possession time. And that's when I realized that not only was my blood pressure through the roof, but my growler was empty, and I had done the one thing that I said I wasn't going to do, which was come off the handle and just fly off, just off the rails. Chris, Chris had a front row seat for You're going to come off the rails every Sunday at some point. <laughs> I try, but I try so hard not to. I try so hard not to. I don't even think you try. <laughs> it's just, you just do it. It's part of your, your aura. It's what makes you, you. And I honestly think we should check in because you have season tickets for away games when we watch it at your place. We should try to get some, something at Rite Aid, CVS. That way we can check your blood pressure after every quarter. Oh, my God. What I know is this. Tyrod Taylor was completely flummoxed over the course of the entire game. I mean, he just... I know a lot of people are blaming him for the loss, and I agree that he shares a huge part of it. 
the guy has to figure out how to make more accurate throws. I mean, it's it's year three now. You're a starter in the NFL. You have to. I, I understand the bitch from everybody. Oh, well, our wide receivers and tight ends don't get separation. Okay, but you've got to have a, a quarterback who ha- trusts his arm and is willing to challenge those tight windows because that's what it takes to win football games. Yeah, why doesn't he try to uh, throw open receivers? No, he can't. I mean, his entire career, we've said this for three years now, Tyrod Taylor is a see-it-then-throw-it quarterback. He needs to see an open receiver, and then he throws it to him. He is so risk-averse at this point in his career, he's afraid to throw to a guy who doesn't exactly have separation. Let your receiver make a play. And if he screws it up, at least you gave him a chance. Okay, Andre Holmes is six foot four. If you can't throw it up to him occasionally and expect him to come down with one, then I don't know what to tell you. Then guess what? You shouldn't be an NFL quarterback. But you don't get a hangover-inducing performance like what we saw on Sunday without help from Rick Dennison, our offensive coordinator. I mean, he was more than happy to chip in. Last week, both here on our podcast and on the Huddle TV show when I appeared with uh, Ryan Lacell over there, the one thing I kept saying is that we could not afford to run directly into the teeth of the Carolina front seven. You know, they've got too much talent at linebacker, too much talent at defensive tackle. There's going to be some fucking creativity. You're going to have to do something. You know, whether it's splitting guys out wide and then running the ball. I don't know. Maybe it's shotgun draw. Has that ever crossed anybody's mind? Something just to create some running lanes and open up some throwing lanes against that defense. And instead, what I ended up with was a cocktail consisting of one part Nate Hackett, one part old school Mike Malarkey, half a case of beer, and you shook it until the room spun. I mean, it... <sighs> I'm getting... My blood pressure's up Yeah, again. Goose Fraba. Goose, oh. goose, goose And then, Fraba. you know... Just as vanilla, that's the thing that irritated the hell out of me. I get it. Sean McDermott comes into these interviews and he's very vanilla as a head coach. He's not a Rex Ryan. He's not going to give you a whole lot of paper fodder. You know, there's, he's not going to make headlines. But then you get Rick Dennison. Rick Dennison, aside from being completely vanilla, managed to throw a little garnish of salty Doug Maroney in on top of this shit cocktail for good measure. What were some of the problems you think in getting involved down the field? Well, uh... There was, you know, just the execution again in, in general again. You know, uh, there are many things. Uh, no, I'd rather not. No, I, I'm just entire game plan. Just no, you don't have to. Um, it's just execution. Whether it's uh, a wide receiver creating separation or a protection, there's many things. I don't have to go through play by play for you. We just didn't execute. We didn't get the ball down the field. That comes to you from his interview at uh, BuffaloBills.com. I'm sorry. Don't week two, your offense sucked. Don't, don't don't cop an attitude with a reporter who's asking you a legitimate fucking question. Oh, I just the, the look on his face too. It, it frustrated me beyond belief. I mean, in all seriousness, there were opportunities there that were wasted by both the offensive coordinator and the quarterback. Instances where the same running play was called multiple times. If it didn't work the first three times, stop going back to it. I just. It, I want to ask him, hey, uh, Dennison, why is the gap between our poor offense and our great defense the same size as the gap in your teeth? (laughs) Oh, 
I mean, you looked at some of the stuff that the offense was doing, and it's mind-boggling. I had a friend of ours who does quarterback uh, quarterback reviews. He breaks down quarterback film. He broke down the Bills game. Travis Wingfield, friend of the show. And he, he sends me a message at 8.30 in the morning saying, hey, I just finished watching the Bills tape. I'm watching their spacing. It's confusing because on multiple plays, they're, they're too, everyone's clustered together. I know. I know that. As I'm watching the game, I'm saying, why are our wide receivers, literally all of them only ran eight yards from the line of scrimmage? You know, everyone wants to talk about the deep ball. There was plays where no one was running a deep route. Nobody. Well, how is Tyrod supposed to throw it deep when on multiple plays, you don't even have a 10-yard option? It's fucking absurd. So I, I'm sorry, but I take I, I take umbrage to the fact that Dennison can, I don't know, be a little snarky on the podium and just tell everyone, oh, wow, well, we just didn't execute. Maybe you just did a shit job as an offensive coordinator. Maybe you had a bad game plan. You, know, you heard the reporter ask the question, what happened with the game plan? Well, I don't have to explain it. You know what? You do. Well, you, I guess you don't have to. No one can make you. But it's a legitimate question that deserves to be asked. I blame both Tyrod Taylor and Rick Dennison equally for what we saw this weekend. And if this is what we have to live with, you know, could move on from both of them just as easily. I mean, I get it. You had a bad game. But for the next 15 weeks, don't just keep talking about it. Do something about it. Chris, was there anything you liked about the football game? I like watching you watch the football game. <laughs> what i get most out of my sundays you know i don't really know what's going on drew's impatient and won't explain things to me and i'll just wait <laughs> and find stuff on cover one's twitter so i can figure out what's going on but i just like to watch you watch football games <laughs> well you're probably one of the only people in the entire world who's willing to admit that no no i bet everyone that listens to this would <laughs> say the same thing so they're, 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 it's not all doom and gloom. Okay, guys, there, there are some positive takeaways from this game, and it starts up front. I mean, our defense, our defense played. Okay, that, that's the defense that if they were here, if we had last year's offense and this year's defense, we would have been a shoe-in for the playoffs. But as has been the, you know, just the cycle of the Buffalo Bills for 17 years, never the two, never the two shall meet. So what we saw from our defensive uh, defensive players was incredible on Sunday. And I know that I bashed him in my, you know, we did a post-game video and I just lit into Jerry Hughes, even though he finished with two sacks because I still couldn't get over the fact that he tried to elbow Cam Newton to the ground instead of just rap tackling him and driving him down. That bothered me. But looking at the performance as a whole, the defensive line really came alive. I mean, I read it in the stats. They were just as dominant as their opponents were on our offensive line. Jerry Hughes came alive. You know, I cussed him out after the game, but he finished with two sacks, and he's he put a spin move on their left tackle that just left him completely on his ass. And, I, I mean, you take a look at it. Shaq Lawson had a monster tackle for a loss. This was the first game that Shaq Lawson really jumped out to me as a guy who, oh, look at him perform. Look at that guy. He's playing the way you expect a first-round draft pick at defensive end to play. In a system that suits him. Exactly. He's in a system that suits him, and it seems like that first game, he got his feet wet, and then, yes, well, Sunday, he really just turned it loose. 
and then you see the ripple effect from that. Our linebackers. Our linebackers were pretty good in coverage. You know, they, they limited Christian McCaffrey. We said that that was one of the keys to victory, was you have to take him out of the offensive equation. He didn't really do anything that hurt us. You know, he had some conversions. He had some catches. He, 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 made, he made his plays because they made him an emphasis of the offense. But really, as a whole, our linebackers and defensive backs really kept everything in front of them. And then on those red zone, on those red zone possessions, what was it? Three times they had it in our red zone, and three times they settled for a field goal. That, that is the type of balls out defense that I've I've been missing for two years, ever since Rex Ryan took this team over. Yeah, since uh, Schwartz. There is still personnel. You figure the overhaul that was made in the secondary and on this defense over the off season. I don't think anybody on the secondary uh, on the team right now played last season. Well, no, nobody played in the secondary last season. But then you look at, we've still got some of the linebackers. We've still got some of the, and the defensive line as a whole, outside of Shaq Lawson, those are the three guys who were here back when they were the cold front, back when our defense was in the top five of the NFL. I mean, folks, right now, even after this week, you know, we lost the football game. We boast the number two defense in football. That's impressive. Okay, that's something to pay, that's something to pat yourselves on the back about and say, look, Okay, so our offense didn't get this done, but our defense literally held the team on three red zone possessions to nine points. Can we just say that I wish our offense would have just put some kind of effort in based on the amount of fans that were in Charlotte? Well, and it's not about the effort. It's literally about talent. At this point, we have an offensive line. I mean, before we... Before we wrap this up, I got to talk about this. Everyone talks about Tyrod Taylor, and I understand he struggled. You know, he's he's got a lot to work on. He really does. If he wants to be a quarterback at the NFL level, but what I see from the what I see from Sunday's game that I keep going back to is the fact that we had no presence on that offensive line. When you think about what we did to the Jets. The Jets, I mean, that, that's what, you know, we, we dominated the line of scrimmage against the Jets, and they had, to, they, they had to change things up. Where I think we screwed ourselves, and this is why I blame Rick Dennison for a lot of this, when the Jets realized that the Bills owned the line of scrimmage and we're not going to give them an inch, they stopped running the ball. And instead, short passing attack. Short passing attack, let's spread the field, let's go out of shotgun to neutralize the pass rush, and let's start trying to make some hay out of what they're giving us. And instead, the Bills just kept doing the same thing over and over again. It's the definition of insanity. Let's just keep trying to put a hat on a hat and play football. You can't. You're overmatched up front, especially on that right-hand side of the line. That right side of the line, folks, is going to be a – it looks to be something that's going to be a liability all season long. And so at, at this point, I don't know what else to do. But I know that the one guy in Rick Dennison who had control over it didn't do anything. That's a problem for me. Yeah, it is. I wish I just wish he was able to be a little more aggressive. Knowing how many fans showed up for the Bills down in Charlotte, we could have easily turned that stadium around had our offense been a little aggressive, gotten a Speaking early of which, touch. Big touchdown. shout out to all of Bills Mafia who showed up in Charlotte. I woke up to a tweet stating that from a resident who lives in the area and was attending the Tavern on the Tracks, which is the bar right across from the stadium. It's where Bills Mafia held their, you know, it's the Bills Backers Bar. It's where they held their big rally the night before the game. The Bills Backers 
drank the bar dry. There was not a there, there was not a drop of booze or beer to be had in the entire building. Maybe some grenadine, maybe <laughs> some vermouth. The Bills backers cleaned out their bar, and I, you know what? God bless you. We show up in record numbers. We drink your city dry. Maybe we don't win a football game, but damn it, do we represent? Cheers to the Bills backers <laughs> of Charlotte. And that, folks, brings us, as it always does every week, to our hero and zero of the football game. And this week, my hero, safety Jordan Poyer. <laughs> I'm the greatest man in the world. Woo! Last week, it was a sack and an interception that got him noticed. This week, it was seven tackles, a sack, an amazing pass breakup on what should have been a touchdown in the red zone, and then a massive hit on a much larger wide receiver in Kelvin Benjamin that prevented another touchdown that just, he jumped right off the page to me. I mean, Jordan Poyer, the guy's friggin' ridiculous. He's so good. And I, I, hate, I hate myself for the fact that as far as free agent signings go, I was down on him. I thought that was a poor signing coming into the season because I didn't know anything about his skill set. And the only thing I kept thinking is that if he, could, if he was a good player, the Browns wouldn't be letting him walk. I mean, Chris, how does a guy like this make it to free agency? I have no idea. I'm still – I don't know if I could ever come around to the dude based on his uh... – his chicken, his chicken wing comments and how what he, he said he didn't eat blue cheese. Oh yeah, he said ranch. He said yeah. ranch is ranch is better yeah. than blue cheese. He's like some kind of psycho. Like he's the kind of person that puts ice in milk. He's just like he's got to be a son. He's like some kind of psycho. All I, know I don't is know that if I, I can come the, around. To all him. I know is that I love that the guys are part of the Buffalo Bills football team. Every week he's making big plays. And good for him, and hopefully he can hold it together for the rest of the season. I mean, Jesus, the guy might need a raise by the time we're done here. And then, as my zero of the week, I wanted to give it to Rick Dennison so badly, but there was a much stronger candidate out there as right tackle Jordan Mills. You've seen the memes and the GIF images making the rounds by now on Twitter. Jordan Mills bent over at the waist, almost like he's trying to tie his shoes, while Mario Addison just runs past him on his way to a sack. If you haven't, I suggest you go check them out because they're almost as hilarious as they are infuriating. You got one tackle the rest of your life, you taking Jordan Mills or Giants tackle Eric Flowers? I would take Eric Flowers twice. I'd take him two times before I took Mills once. Through the entire preseason, I said Mills was dog shit. And then... Into the season itself. I said, guys, who's paying attention? This guy is shit. And now, looking, watching that game on Sunday, calling him shit is an insult to excrement itself. He's a joke. I can only imagine what the coach who called Cyrus Quanjo Venus DeMilo in training camp would have to say about this jerk-off. Here's what, what, I it, ca- what does it say about our coaching? I mean, I know he's not good, but wasn't he semi-decent last year? No. They did a lot of pin-and-pull running last year where they would pull the guards. This Zone blocking requires – see, Chris, this is where you're going to learn a little bit about the X's and O's of football. All right. In I'll have to ask blo- Eric about it. In a zone blocking Or are you going to explain it to me I'm now? I'm going to explain it to you. All right. For once. The zone blocking scheme in football means that your offensive linemen have to get out off the snap. You're just going to run laterally and try to find a man to block. You've got your assigned guy that you're supposed to take on, and you're going to find him and block him. And if you can beat that block, 
you move up field and block the next guy. And so it almost works like a wave. That's the concept of it. Greg Roman's scheme, on the other hand, was a pin and pull rushing attack, which was what we're going to do is we're going to get this defensive end to bite inside. We're going to pull a guard around the other side to the outside of the right tackle's shoulder. The right tackle, all he has to do is not let that defensive end get penetration. The guard is going to come to the outside and sweep up the linebacker behind the defensive end and give the linebacker a running lane. So is this essentially like the right tackle essentially plays what would be like the role of a guard? He almost, in a lot of instances, ends up either because there's a tight end there or because there's a pulling guard or a pulling center, ends up playing the role of a guard. That's why when you look at Jordan Mills now stuck out on an island trying to play right tackle, he's got awful. He doesn't belong out there. Chantrell Henderson is going to come back from his suspension in weeks, I think it's, what did he have, six weeks? So he'll be back week seven. I'm starting to wonder, because at first I was like, okay, can Jordan Mills keep his starting job that long? I don't even know if he's going to be on the roster when Chantrell Henderson comes back. If Cordy Glenn can stay healthy, Jordan Mills might be packing his bags when Henderson comes back. Because at this point, he hasn't done anything to prove to me that he's a starting caliber NFL tackle. All right, as we always do, I'm going to finish this beer. I'm going to wash the memories of that terrible game from my mind, and we are going to move forward. Right, Chris? Uh, always. Cheers. Cheers. Guys, we have a brand new segment we're going to roll out for this season. I mean, I get it. I know that life as a Bills fan, it's tough. Okay, it's not easy. And this season in particular has seemed to have forced a lot of people right to the edge of their sanity. Now, earlier I explained part of the reason why I don't listen to the radio for a day or two after Bills games. But there is another reason. It's that some of you people out there ruin it for me. You're fucking ridiculous. With your inaccurate, over-the-top, or just, just absurd calls to WGR 50. So... With some encouragement and direction from the huddle's Ryan Lasel, I've decided to stop bitching about it and take some action here. You know what I mean? I'm not a guy to sit back and just sit idly by while something that I love gets taken from me. Each and every week, I'm going to skim the Bills post-game show for what I deem to be the worst call, and I'm going to feature it on our podcast. And this week, the award goes to some jerk named Ken. Uh, okay, I watched the game. I cried. Defense, great. I mean, you know, for they're great. At least they were this game. Tyrod, he has three steps. The first step is going back in the pocket, looking for a receiver, his primary. He stares at the primary. If it's not there, his second step isn't going secondary. His second step is thinking he'll be hero by running. And he's continually doing that for as many years as he's been here. I, I really think we need to go Peterson and put Tyrod on as a running back. What? Oh, Ken. I feel bad for anyone that knows you or has to watch football with you because it's awful. Who's you, Peterson? Who, who is Peterson? Who is this Peterson that you speak of? Jesus Christ. First of all, if you want me to take you seriously, know the players' friggin' names. Can, I mean... I, Second of all, Tyrod Taylor at running back. That, that, that's a great idea. You know, six, well, what is he? Six foot one. He's uh, 195, 200 pounds. Never played running back before. That's like saying Logan Thomas should be my starting tight end because he's six foot five and he's fast. You're an idiot, Ken. 
people like you are ruining. You're ruining the radio for me, and I I can't sit idly by. Congrats on being the inaugural winner of the worst call of the week, you bought. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Oh, you people drive me nuts, but I love you. I love each and every one of you, but Jesus, stop calling the radio station. (laughs) Oh, onwards and upwards, folks. The AFC East Roundup. The Patriots, okay? They go on the road and they get a win over the Saints 36 to 20. Don't let the score fool you. The game was never close. Tom Brady had, I was playing against him in fantasy football. He had three touchdown passes before halftime. And I have to say that I got to watch Rob Gronkowski. I hate the guy. But he scored one of the most demoralizing touchdowns I've seen so far this season. He catches the ball, and he's running down the sideline. And a defensive back literally throws himself at Gronkowski's legs. And without even really slowing down, Gronk kicks him out of the way like you would a piece of garbage that's on the sidewalk in front of you off the curb as he easily just strolled in for a 53-yard touchdown reception. So you can, all shelve, you can all shelve that talk of Tom Brady being finished, at least for another week. I mean, the guy threw touchdown passes to three different players, both in the red zone, both from distance. He had it going. I, I, I know, Chris, I asked the question during our party. How many consecutive losses do you think it would take before Pats fans start calling for for uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Two. You say two? Two. All right, well, it'll be interesting to see if they ever get there. This week they're going up against the Texans, who have looked like one of the worst teams in the NFL despite having a one-and-one record. I think the spread on that game is two touchdowns. It should be. The Texans are awful. Deshaun Watson is going to get embarrassed. Belichick is going to eat Deshaun Watson alive. Do you know what his record is against rookie quarterbacks? I don't know. Is it as good as Brex is? He's never (laughs) lost to one. That I know of, he has not lost to a rookie quarterback. So, good luck. Good luck. The Jets, on the other hand, last week, our opponent, the Jets, well, they didn't really improve from last week. They went on the road to the Oakland Coliseum and got blown out by a score of 45-20. to 20. By an elite quarterback, Derek Carr. Josh McCown is now 6-25 and 25 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I'm just fascinated by it. That number, I can't stop watching it, Chris. I don't know how you have a record of 6-25 and 25 as a starting quarterback attached to you in your career, your name, and yet teams out there in the NFL are still desperate enough to sign you to a contract and pay you low-end starter money. Jets fans, if, if there's any of you out there listening, I'm sure there's a couple. You're going to be hard-pressed to find the end zone for as long as he's taking snaps. Meanwhile, you, you, flip, you flip everything around and everyone says, oh, well, the Bills look good on offense because they were playing the Jets. I didn't want to believe that. I'll admit, that was some of my frustration this week. I didn't want to believe that our offense was as bad as it actually is. Then I, I see the statistics and I see that Derek Carr completed 89% of his fucking passes for three touchdowns and no interceptions. 89%! What is that? 
I don't think I've ever. I wish I I could go back and watch the game on Game Center, and I've been thinking about it all week. I want to go watch this game where a quarterback completes almost ninety percent of his passes. A, I've never seen anything like that. A, it's because he's elite, and I think if I can remember this earlier from today, listening to Cowherd, I think he said that Carr has only been pressured. Five times this year. Because they built a good offensive line in front of him. And he's elite. <laughs> he's a good quarterback. And he's an elite quarterback. I'm not quarterback. willing to call him elite yet. He's he an elite quarterback. He's not you elite. You don't know what wins. you're talking about. I know football. You don't. <laughs> Derek Carr and Matthew Stafford. I will never call them elite until they win a playoff game. You win a playoff game, and then maybe I'll call Has you Derek elite. Has Derek Carr even played in the playoffs? No. Exactly, because he broke his leg. No, that's not my fault. That's his fault. Don't break your stupid leg. All I know is is that the Jets are going to take on the Dolphins next week, and that's going to be an interesting game. It's one I'm going to watch. You know, you got to keep an eye on it. You got to scoreboard watch it. And speaking of the Dolphins, they went on the road. I mean, they got to play their very first game of the season on the road in Los Angeles in front of a little less than 27,000 fans. So I'm assuming that that must have felt like a home game for him. <laughs> well, yeah, the uh, Chargers and Rams combined did not come close to the attendance of USC Texas. No, because LA isn't a football city. They don't give a shit. It's a collegiate football city. Bills fans are frustrated that their team lost while their quarterback had a pretty terrible day. So you have to imagine how angry Chargers fans have to be. Knowing that their quarterback passed for 331 yards, one touchdown, no picks, and completed 79% of his passes, and still lost the football game on a late field goal. I mean, the, 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 Chris, if, if you saw it, let's say that the stat lines were reversed. Phillip Rivers has Tyrod's stat line, Tyrod has Phillip Rivers' stat line, and we still lose the game by two points. What's your? I would, are you angrier? Yeah, I would be. <laughs> are you angrier than you currently are? Yeah, I would be. You would be. Oh my god, I'd, I'd be taking out a homeowner's insurance. Uh, I'd have to file a claim. <laughs> it would. It would have gotten ugly. But I get. I. I would also say that probably about as angry as Coach Adam Gase was. I mean, he found out in the middle of the night on Saturday that his team had to file a missing persons report. For newly signed linebacker Lawrence Timmons. That's right, folks. They actually had to call the police because their shiny, expensive new linebacker wasn't in his hotel room, wasn't responding to texts, wasn't answering his phone. His friends and family that they were texting didn't know where he was. So they go to the cops. They file a police report on Saturday night in Los Angeles only to find out that he's at LAX awaiting a flight back to Pennsylvania to deal with what his agent will only refer to as a quote-unquote personal matter. I am more interested in that situation than anything that these teal fruits did on Sunday, especially considering that tonight they just traded for former first-round linebacker Stephon Anthony from the New New Orleans Saints. I mean, does this mean that you guys just signed a guy to a fat contract and now you're going to have to cut him? That's not exactly a good look. And I know that Adam Gase has a no-bullshit mentality when it comes to things. Yeah, he did that last year by cutting those two tackles during the season. Dallas Thomas, he was like, oh, you suck. Get out. You're not doing your job? Get off my boat. Why can't we do that with Jordan Mills? (laughs) Because we literally don't have anyone else to plug in there. 
You got as, long gorilla arms. <laughs> as far as the game itself goes, guys, the Dolphins pretty much neutralized the rushing attack of the Chargers. I mean, they held them to 44 yards, I believe. And then J.H.I. did what J.H.I. does and put up 122 yards on the ground. So Philadelphia, the Finns were able to hang around long enough to pull out a W against the Chargers, who now have kicking problems. You know, they, they signed this, this you know, rookie kicker, this, what's his name, Hyung Koo, I think his name is. Sure, sure, his last name was, his last name is Koo. And I saw this today on Twitter, uh, Francesa was talking about it. Uh, WFAN in New York City, and he thought the last O in his name on his sheet was a D, so he was kept saying Cod. <laughs> oh my God, what an idiot! But in any event, they cut their they cut Josh Lambeau, who was a good kicker, and or at least average kicker, and they replaced him with this kid going into the off season. And now I don't know what they're going to do, but it'll be interesting to see. I, I mean, essentially. They're going to play the, the Jets in a game this weekend in which I can only hope it ends in a tie because screw both of those teams. All right? And that brings us to, as it always does, preview of this weekend's football game. The Buffalo Bills against the Denver Broncos. I got all the info for you. New Era Field, 1 p.m. The weather looks like it's going to be sunny, 85 degrees. I'm going to wear that luchador mask and if I end up with a fruity sunburn, it's going to be, oh, my God. I, I hope you do. The officiating crew is going to be run by Carl Sheffers, who I've actually never heard of before. So that's good. You know what I mean? He doesn't have any negative connotations in my head connected with it. And the spread is the Bills are plus three with the under over set at 40. You definitely take the under. <laughs> do you, though? This game turns into a rout. Do you take the under? Yes. We have a better defense than Dallas. Trevor Simeon is trash. Tyrod Taylor is trash. You're going to see another 9-3 to game. Trevor Simeon's trash. Well, I'm going to put that theory of yours to the test in just a second. But first, got to get to the notable injuries. For the Buffalo Bills, offensive tackle Cordy Glenn, questionable with an ankle injury. He left the game halfway through. Deion Dawkins had to fill in for him. Deion Dawkins didn't look bad at left tackle. I, I like the way he played enough that if Cordy Glenn is even borderline, I would like to see them sit him in a game that I don't expect to win. I'd like to see him sit in order to get healthy for future games. Defensive tackle Jarrell Worthy is out with a concussion. You know He hasn't practiced since he took that helmet shot from the recently released Trey Elston during the preseason. So, and you look and. Chris, you look at the impact that that injury of Jarrell Worthy has had on our defense. You were talking about it on Sunday, watching the game. Adolphus Washington. Adolphus Washington, he had a couple chances to make plays, and he simply failed to do so. Jarrell, he got some good penetration, but couldn't finish. Couldn't finish. And Jarrell Worthy was one of those guys who, not only was he eating up space during the preseason, but he was also finishing when he did get behind the line. I think they were really suffering with this guy out of the lineup. And so it's going to be interesting to see if, if at some point Adolphus, maybe the, you know, the switch flips on and he figures out how to finish his plays. But we need to see something out of the guy. And then the other questionable player that we have is Shaq Lawson. He essentially, what I'm, what I'm reading, it's a bone bruise and a nerve contusion, which essentially he slammed his elbow. Imagine jamming your funny bone, except really, really hard 
into another man who's also hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Ultimately, he may still play. You know, the injury reports don't come out until tomorrow. Where that's going to be one to keep an eye on because he's going to be huge towards our our defensive success on Sunday. For Denver, they've got some guys of their own. First and foremost, first round rookie Garrett Bowles. You know, he won the starting tackle job coming out of training camp. He's out with an ankle, high ankle sprain. You know, and who knows how many weeks he's going to miss. Questionable tight end Jeff Howerman. Running back Devontae Booker, backup running back. Wide receiver Benny Fowler, which is interesting because he is their number three wide receiver and the guys behind him aren't really that experienced. That's going to be, in fact, Benny Fowler might be the most interesting one out of this questionable group simply because he's already caught a touchdown pass and he's he's been the kind of release valve in lieu of a tight end for the Broncos offense. So speaking of the offense, Here's my preview of the Denver offense coming into Sunday's game against the Buffalo Bills. And it starts off under center. I want to know who the fuck this guy is pretending to be Trevor Simeon. Now, Chris, earlier you said Trevor Simeon sucks. Yeah. Right? Now he's missing bowls. Oh, okay. Okay. You said he sucks. Yeah. Now. Let me, let, let me read you his statistics through two games against good teams. Teams that, well, in the Cowboys that made the playoffs last year and won 11 football games. And in the Chargers, that generally stay competitive, and they literally only won because of a blocked field goal. He put up a 60% completion percentage through two games. He has six touchdowns, two picks, and one rushing touchdown. 450 yards passing and 33 yards rushing. Yeah, that's cool. We have a better front than what San Diego and Dallas has combined. Okay, but... And they're missing bowls. Trevor Simeon is clicking right now. I don't care if they're missing bowls. I'm looking at the quarterback. Every time that a tackle, you know, for any good football team gets hurt, All right, you need still time a to guy throw. There. You need there's, time to throw. There's still a guy there, Chris. You need time to throw. Okay. But you do realize that they have serviceable replacements on their team, right? See, this is where no. this is where my football knowledge is deeper than yours, and this is where you need to let the adults take over and talk about football. <laughs> It's not happening. You're going to see a similar game to what we saw on Saturday. I Mostly field goals. I don't believe that. What I look at is this guy is... I believe playing, I need to find a new host. He's playing well above his career his career numbers. Now, I don't know if that's just him in his, you know, he was a seventh, he was a seventh round draft pick. He started last year after sitting for a year. Now he's in his third year. Maybe this is him just taking that step towards being the guy that they thought he was when they kept him around after training camp. What I do know is that he is not playing like the Trevor Simeon who sucked ass most of 2016, and that's going to be a problem for the Bills on Sunday. Now, because he has a phenomenal duo of wide receivers who are, going to, who are very much going to help him out. These are the top two receiving threats on the Denver Broncos. They start off with Demarius Thomas, and Emmanuel Sanders is his number two. Their numbers from this season are ridiculous. Through two games, Demarius Thomas, 16 targets, 11 catches, 138 yards. Emmanuel Sanders, 14 targets, 9 catches, 88 yards, and two touchdowns. They've both been the focal points of the passing attack. I mean, they're dynamic athletes, and as long as their quarterback can even be competent, they can take over games. I had them both on my fantasy team when Peyton Manning was there, and I rode them both at the same time as starters to a Super Bowl appearance. You know that 
that's when I learned how dangerous that these two actually can be, even on the field at the same time. You know, you would think, oh, I've got two great receivers. One's numbers are going to suffer for the other one. Absolutely not. The way this offense is designed, they're both going to get their snaps. They're both going to see their. They're both going to see the ball. They have chances to make big plays. Last season, they fell by the wayside because the team really did have some struggles at quarterback. But as Simeon goes, so do they, and he's been hot, and so have they. What concerns me the most about them is that not only are they talented, but they receive targets at every level of the field. This is one of the most important nuances of the Denver attack that I think come into play this week. Against Dallas, they saw a combined 14 targets that all came within eight yards of the line of scrimmage. And they racked up 133 yards and a touchdown on those catches. So they, they clearly have run after the catch ability. And then week one against the Chargers, they each had a deep catch of more than 25 yards. There's no pigeonholing these two receivers into a specific role. They can be anywhere on the field. They can make plays at any level of the defense, whether it's shallow, whether it's deep, whether it's right behind the linebackers. I think it's going to be a tough task for our zone-based defense, even if our safeties are playing out of their minds. You figure Trey White's been playing well, EJ Gaines, Jordan Poyer back there patrolling the middle of the field and over there you know, at the back end. I still don't know that that's an easy ask of them to control these two wide receivers for an entire football game. I, I, I think Bills fans everywhere should make their peace now with the fact that these guys are going to make hay. And then on the flip side of the ball, the Broncos run a 3-4 defense with man coverage concepts when it comes to coverage in the passing game. This means they're going to rely on their interior linebackers to control the rushing lanes. And they're going to use their defensive ends and their outside linebackers to get behind the line of scrimmage and create havoc. They're fresh off kicking the shit out of Dallas, and they look fantastic on defense. It starts up front, you know, just like it did on Sunday with the Buffalo Bills and the Carolina Panthers. It starts with the defensive line and the, the linebackers. They have one of the most aggressive front sevens in football, and it really is the backbone of their defense. Now, we all know that they've got Von Miller. I mean, the guy has a Super Bowl MVP ring. And they just re-signed Derek Wolf. Isn't that the guy who talked about sacking Tom Brady? And is he the one who said he tried to hit him in the nuts or something? I have no idea. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> I think the name that no one's talking about on Denver's defensive line is probably the most important person when it comes to playing the Buffalo Bills. That's Demata Pecco. Pecco was a member of the Bengals for years, and he was one of the top interior defensive linemen against the rush. He was signed by the Broncos to address their problems in run defense, and through two games, he looks like he was worth every penny of it. I mean, they, they're fresh off of a game where they held Ezekiel Elliott to eight yards. Ezekiel Elliott and arguably the best offensive line in football got held to eight yards rushing. I mean, that's, that's an intimidating statistic to try to go up against when you're the Buffalo Bills. And then one of the, one of the matchups I think is going to determine the entire game is going to be watching Von Miller go up against Jordan Mills on passing downs. I would hope that our offensive coordinator for a week is finally smart enough to call a healthy amount of shotgun plays Keep some reserve blockers in the backfield. Just try to keep Tyrod Taylor upright. Their linebackers, it doesn't get any easier. They're all seasoned veterans who are really adept at shutting down the run. I mean, it's, it's incredible the way that they play. 
And they're not bad in pass coverage. None of them are a liability. And then when you figure the lack of receiving threats that the Buffalo Bills have to counteract that, I mean, I, I expect to see a healthy dose of base defense. Even if we split wide receivers out wide, I think that they will trust that their base defense will get them through a healthy portion of this game. The only odd trend that I've been able to notice when going over the figures for the uh, Denver defense, as a team, they only have three sacks, and all three of those sacks came from their outside linebackers. Now, by comparison, you look at the Bills. They have seven sacks, and those sacks have come from defensive backs, linebackers, their defensive ends. There are a lot of things that factor into your sack numbers, but I firmly believe that if you look at the running backs that they've played the last two weeks, you know, the Broncos played Melvin Gordon. They knew they had to contain him. They played Ezekiel Elliott. They knew they had to contain him. This is 100% by design. I mean, Denver is not. Denver knows LaShawn McCoy is the engine that drives our offense. They're going to do the same thing they've done for the last two weeks. I don't expect to see them blitzing their linebackers or DBs at all. Now, that's their formula for containing explosive running backs. They keep everything in front of them, let the defensive ends deal with the tackles, force the quarterback up in the pocket. If your defensive tackles can't get the job done, your linebackers from, for Denver are going to keep everything in front of you Take away your running lanes and make sure that there's no one able to get free down the field. This is how they've been able to smother teams offensively over the course of the season so far. It's going to be interesting to see what Rick Dennison and company have in the bag of tricks or if they're even willing to get creative to try to combat that. And then on the for the defensive backs, it's ridiculous. There's a lot of cornerbacks in the NFL that get a lot of hype, name recognition. I've never understood why Bradley Roby isn't one of them. He's one of the best man cover corners in the NFL. He can match up with almost any team's number one wide receiver threat, if you ask him to. And then across from him, you've got Aqib Tlaib. That guy is still playing at a high level, and he's coming off a game where he returned to pick 103 yards for a touchdown, which gets him ranked fourth all-time for touchdown touchdown interception returns in NFL history. I guess... What I'm looking at with this defensive backfield and their safeties and just the way that their linebackers are going to zone up against us, this is what I see. I think they're going to keep our offensive line completely under siege for most of the game. And knowing that Aqib Tlaib is out there lurking around the field, Chris, we talked earlier about how Tyrod Taylor is a see-it-then-throw-it quarterback, how he's a little afraid to, he's afraid to take chances, which limits our ability to make a lot of plays. If you've got a guy out there in Aqib Tlaib who you know specializes in taking things back to the house and picking off passes, I feel like that could make Tyrod Taylor more gun-shy than he already is. And coming into a game against a D-line like this, it's going to be on his shoulders to win this football game. I don't think Tyrod's going to have time to throw the ball. It's going to come down to what is Dennison's game plan for Shady. Mm -hmm. No, and this is what, and so this is it. This brings us to our keys to victory. How do the Buffalo Bills win this football game? It starts off simple. You make more field goals than Denver. <laughs> it starts off with our pass rush. Now, you said it. You know, we know how dangerous, we just talked about how dangerous their wide receivers are and how, our, how new our secondary is. The communication, it's... You've seen plays over the last couple of weeks where it's still been a work in progress. 
it is going to take another phenomenal performance by our defensive line in order to keep those wide receivers from getting off the ground. We cannot afford to get gashed in the passing game because our offense doesn't have the quick strike ability that it's going to take to stay in a firefight with any football team this year. We just don't. On the flip side of that, the Bills' pass protection. You hit the nail on the head, Chris. Last week, whether it doesn't matter whether it's a function of wide receivers that can't get separation, our quarterback not playing like an NFL quarterback, or our offensive coordinator not being creative enough with route combinations and with play calls, if our pass protection breaks down, the offense itself grinds to a screeching halt. If you're Denver, wouldn't you put Von Miller in a position to attack Jordan Mills? Oh, all game. That's going to be the matchup to watch. I mean, Jordan Mills, John Miller, everyone on the right side of that offensive line, they're going to have to put their big boy pants on and go out there and play serviceable NFL caliber football. That's it. That's all it is. Go out there and act like you belong in the NFL because through two weeks, you haven't showed me that. If they can't, it's going to be a long day. Chris, you and I are going to be in the stands. It's going to get real ugly. Yep. My first game of the year. I'll tell you this. How about this? The team I've seen the most in the NFL, the Denver Broncos. (laughs) That's true. This is my third time seeing Denver in my lifetime. (laughs) What a coincidence. And my final key to the game is to pray. I mean, after last week, I feel like it's going to take an angels-in-the-outfield-esque type of intervention in order to somehow transform our offense into something capable of putting up enough points to win this football game. So everybody take a knee before the game for 10 seconds, will you? Come on. Oh, Chris, what do you got for a final score? Easy. Broncos, 13 Buffalo, seven. See, you're calling for a touchdown. I'm not. I'm going to say if the Bills lose this football game, it's going to be a score of, I say say they keep us out of the end zone. I say that it's a score of nine. I think we at least try some longer field goals. Hauschka's proven over his career he can hit those. Bills, nine. Broncos, 17. 17 to nine. So we're both still taking the under. Do you like the spread or no? Bills plus three. You think that the Broncos cover it? The Broncos Broncos will win by th- by three for sure. Okay, we agree on that. So there's no Seagram's bet this week. All right, folks. So we're going to go ahead and get out of here. But be sure to check out our our Twitter live and Facebook live videos. We're back every Saturday night. The Rock Pile Report live on Saturday nights. Now we're doing a simulcast, both both Facebook Live and our Facebook page. And find us on Facebook, The Rock Pile Report. Tweet us, at Rock Pile Report on Twitter. Why don't you tweet us, or don't you show up at our tailgate on Sunday? Yeah, we're going to be 5330 Big Tree Road. Just look for the pop-up tent with the giant Bills flag hanging from it. That's going to be us. Wow, you just narrowed it down. <laughs> People are really going to be able to okay, find us. Okay, look at the guy... With a luchador mask on. Just look for him. Just look for that guy. That's a lot. That's right next to the uh, field house. Right next to the field house off 28. 5330 Big Tree Road, folks. Why don't you come out, check out the tailgate, have a beer with the old boy Drew Gear. At Rockpile Report on Twitter is where you can find us. You can also check out our show, GrandstandSportsNetwork.com. Bringing you the best view in sports. We've got dozens of po- sports podcasts from different sports, different covering different teams from all over the country. 
It's a great time. It's completely free. Why don't you go check it out? Do yourself a favor. And then you can always get a hold of us by email, rockpilereport716 at gmail.com. Does anyone ever email us? Occasionally, actually. And you know what? It's mostly hate mail, but I find it funny. How come I, I never fact, hear I about it? I shouldn't even say mostly hate mail. It's mostly either people asking me, people send us emails every now and again, things like, you didn't drink that much. I'm not responding to that. I don't have to, I don't have to justify myself to you. All I, or, or y'all stupid. Okay. S T O O P I D. I'm not responding to you, but go ahead. Continue sending in your emails, whatever it takes, man, whatever gets you off guys, we got to get the hell out of here. Good luck to the Buffalo bills this weekend. I'm drew gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the rock Pile report for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.